Well, I welcome you as I prepare to share with you the latest message from San Philip United Methodist Church. As we get started, let's bow our heads for a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, which woke us up this morning and allowed us to see another day. We thank you for being able to bring us peace, even in these turbulent times. And in these turbulent times, we do pray for our leaders, that you would guide them and direct them. And we pray that you would guide and direct us and keep us safe as well. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Fill us with your hope, your peace, your love, and your joy. Father, we love you, and we give you praise, for you alone are worthy. May you continue to strengthen us for whatever lies ahead and keep us covered with the precious blood of Jesus. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Galatians, the fifth chapter, the 16th through the 25th verses. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Well, today I want to wrap up this trilogy of sermons and just tie a little bow on top by looking at the very heart of how and why we can prevail in this struggle that ultimately determines the quality of our lives here and where we're going to spend all of eternity. In our scripture reading today, Paul lays out the basis of the struggle that I have covered in the past two weeks the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. When we're lost and living apart from the love of God, we automatically handle the demands of our desires and our passions through the works of the flesh. Our, uh, well, we live out our carnal, sinful nature. 
when we uh, realize that we're separated from a just and holy God by our sin, and that apart from God's grace and mercy, we would spend all eternity separated from Him, we can do nothing but grasp the loving hand that God has stretched out to us through Jesus Christ. When we receive what He did on the cross as the only way that this chasm can be crossed and that we can be reconciled to God, and we repent of our wrongdoing and give ourselves gratefully to Him, He sends His Holy Spirit into our yielded, surrendered hearts, and He makes us His, and He is with us as we abide in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. His Spirit transforms us from the inside out. His Spirit begins to bring forth fruit in our lives, and it is always the same fruit. Notice that Paul says the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit. He's not describing nine separate fruits that we could just pick and choose from, like apples, oranges, grapes, bananas, but different characteristics of the same fruit as the product of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Just like an apple is red, crunchy, juicy, tangy, sweet, tart, smooth-skinned, and has seeds, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, all believers will start to display the same fruit and the same character of the Holy, that the Holy Spirit imparts to us as they move on with the Lord and allow Him to work in their submitted lives. And I think that the operative word there is submitted. Now, you see, in orange groves you find oranges, and all the trees have the same kind of fruit. It's the same with an apple orchard. All the apple trees are going to have apples. In the church, all the believers are going to have the same fruit of the Holy Spirit. You don't get to choose, you see. It's not a matter of our will. It's not a matter of us saying, I want patience and give it to me now. And we don't just say, oh, I need to work on love. You don't work on the aspect. You work on the relationship. And as you work on this loving relationship with God, these things, as we're going to see in a minute, we're just going to manifest themselves in our lives. And if you're not manifesting these things, you need to work on your relationship with God. Now, there's an order to the description of this fruit for a reason, and I want to go over this with you now. The description begins with love, and it ends with self-control. And there are uh, seven other aspects, all sandwiched in between. Now, here's the progression. Love is first, because that is the first thing that we experience from God. 
When we call upon the name of the Lord to save us and he comes to us and we give ourselves to him, his presence emanates his love to us. The Bible says that the love of God is poured out in our hearts. And we realize that he loves the real us, not our potential, not who we wish we could be or thought we were supposed to be. He loves the real you that you may have been hiding between several masks for fear that if people really knew you, that if they knew the real you, that they wouldn't like you. You discover what real, genuine love is all about, and that love sets you free to be you in a way that you never could be as long as you struggled and slaved out of the works of the flesh. And since you're loved by the creator of the entire cosmos and beyond, other people's opinion of you becomes secondary and his overshadows all others. His is primary from that point on. And you discover that he has been loving you in spite of yourself for a long, long time. Now, because you are loved, you love. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you want to just say along with the psalmist, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You want your life to be one that causes him to smile on you. Because you love him, you love whom he loves. You love other struggling, imperfect people just like you. All the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit come forth from the fact that you're loved and that because you're loved, you love. And that love brings joy. That love brings peace. That love brings patience. That love brings forth kindness to others. That love puts forth goodness. That love brings faithfulness to God and to friends and to spouses. That love brings gentleness. That love ultimately brings self-control. Because you're loved and you are loving, you are going to want to please God by obeying him and by treating those he loves lovingly. And so these are uh, the works of the flesh. Yes, we crucify them. We put them under the blood of Jesus and we 
satisfy our desires in ways that please Him. And His Holy Spirit helps us and it manifests itself as self-control. Tim Keller gives a really good definition of self-control. He says, self-control is the ability the Holy Spirit gives you to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. The urgent thing is gratifying, uh, gratifying your sinful nature, your worldly passions and idolatry. The, uh, and it is idolatry. The important thing is to love God and to love your neighbor and to act out of that love of God and love of your neighbor. Now, all of us have those things in our lives that we can't control. Bad habits, thoughts, attitudes, your tongue, your eyes, your credit cards, your stomach, and I could go on and on. But if you are a born-again Christian, you aren't just any person. You have the divine nature that the Holy Spirit has planted into you, and your character is changing. And an essential part of that is self-control. Today, we can see that so many people are godless. We can see that so many people are living apart from God because all they want to do is to satisfy their desires. We're going to talk more about this in just a minute. Now, this is one of the significant signs of being saved. The power of sin has been broken, and now being free from sin and from its power in our lives, which we didn't even realize was there, we can choose and we do choose not to sin. Now, there are some people that haven't realized that they can choose not to sin just because they have been so conditioned that this is what you do. It reminds me of the fact that you can go through the circus and you can see uh, a huge elephant with a stake stuck in the ground tied to a rope. And that elephant just stands there with a huge elephant with a little rope. And that rope keeps it, in, keeps it in place. Now that elephant is powerful enough and strong enough to if it just pulled hard on that rope, it would pop out of the ground and probably pop the rope and it could go on where it wanted. And we were slaves to sin for a long time. But see what happens is the rope was put on that elephant's foot around its leg when it was quite young and it wasn't strong enough and it winds up being conditioned to think that that rope is so strong that it can, there's no need to struggle against it anymore and so it just stays and so Christians who have not been taught those who start with Christ can wind up going back into sin and losing their salvation folks because they didn't realize that now the rope of sin is gone. Sin has lost its power, and we are not slaves to it anymore. 
We are free to choose. And now we can joyfully and lovingly choose the important thing over the urgent thing. This is an aspect of the Holy Spirit's fruit in your life. You see, self-control in a Christian's life is not reaching deep down inside and getting your own willpower. It's not getting your act together, as they say. It's a supernaturally natural response to God's love and His grace that He's placed within your heart. Now, this is where it gets a little dicey because, as I said, there are many today who bear the name of Christ, but you only see the works of the flesh in their lives and not the fruit of the Spirit. And it could be it's because they just don't realize that the power of canceled sin has been broken and they are free to walk away from it and they have been called by God to walk away from it. Now, let me, I just want to take an inventory kind of and let's see where you are. Maybe you're one of these who's been mistaught that uh, you need to continue to work out of the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, and you're not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. So let me ask you, which list are you living out of? First of all, here are the deeds of the flesh. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Those last several sound just like what you see on TV every day and sounds like what you see in a lot of churches. And add to that the next, envying. And then we go on, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. And then Paul says, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now then, are you living out of that list? Are you being immoral uh, in your actions or uh, in your thought processes? Are you impure? Are you being led by sensuality instead of spirituality? Do you have idols, things lower than God, that are controlling your life? And I won't go through all the rest. Are you, are you living out of this? Next, the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, does this describe you? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then Paul goes on, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And above that, he says, Now, now. Now, right now, 
not when you get your act together, not some other time. Right now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have nailed all of our passions and our desires on the cross. And now then, those desires that are God-given, we only fulfill in ways that please Him. Now, which list describes you? If it's the deeds or works of the flesh, please hear what the Word of God says. This is not me talking. We're measuring ourselves by the Word of God today. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Singular. He wasn't talking about doing a good deed from time to time. He wasn't talking about putting some money in an offering plate or envelope. He wasn't talking about getting some sort of a membership card that you're a member of a church somewhere. He wasn't talking about going up to the front and just saying some words so you could join the club. He was talking about whether you see the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh in their lives on a daily basis. So where are you in all this? Do people around you see the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh? Now what they see tells them where your treasure and your heart are. What they see tells them where you're going to spend eternity and whether you are loving God or yourself the most. If the deeds of the flesh describe you, I have good news for you. Jesus died for you. He died on that cross for you so that you could be freed from the power of everything in that list and inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you, as we've talked about earlier, may have started well and then because of bad teaching, faltered along the way, being pulled away by the cares and pressures of the world and, and other people who maybe you love deeply. Others of you may have never thought about how real and personal a relationship with Jesus is supposed to be. And if you are finding that trying to live the Christian life that you know you should live is a burden, it may be that you have not been delving deep enough into your soul and into your relationship with the Lord. It may be that you have unknowingly, unwittingly been thinking that Christianity is just moving from one unaccept or, or moving from unacceptable behavior to acceptable behavior. It's not. I've discovered that the Christian life is not just being good and doing the right thing, the thing that's acceptable and laudable. It's not just following the rules of a church. It's surely not just saying you're going to follow the rules and never getting around to it. It's a matter of pure, unadulterated, real 
worship with your whole life. It's a matter of saying to God with everything that you do, Thou art worthy. It's a matter of expressing in every aspect of your life that God's love for you and through you is your highest priority. When I say worship, I don't mean simply singing hymns and attending services. Those things are a part of worship, but there are a lot of other things. But if we just take religious activities without being motivated to do so by our deep love of Jesus and without him being the object of our worship, it will all grow dull and dissatisfying. Our, and, and we will start trying to shape these things to please us and not the Lord. When you start trying to make church the way that you think church ought to be, you need to submit yourself to the Lord and start submitting yourself to the way that He wants you to be. When Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is what He was talking about. What's worth more to you? Momentary, fleeting satisfaction of a desire or what you know God has in store for you both in this life and in the life to come. The psalmist David expressed it this way. Thy loving kindness is better than life. He treasured God's love and God's blessing on his life more than anything else and it shaped the, everything else that he did. Anything that you place above God is an idol. Face it. If you're an alcoholic, you're looking to alcohol to supply your deepest needs and the bottle is your God. If you're a drug addict and you're a drug of choice, well, if you're a drug addict, your drug of choice is your God. The same with sex, food, wealth, success, the approval of your friends, Anything that you choose over what you know pleases God. Now, I'm not talking about what pleases other church members. What pleases God, what pleases Him, anything you choose over that is your God. It's an idol, and you are guilty of idolatry. And if you're doing that, and I don't care if it's the way we worship in church, if that's your idol, then you are missing the kingdom of God and you're not going to inherit it. Idols promise you what God alone can give. They are simply different ways to satisfy the urgent cravings of sinful nature. Jesus talks about a person who has an evil spirit and that evil spirit is driven out. And then the spirit comes back, finds the heart swept clean and empty, and he brings seven more demons back with him. And the final condition of that person winds up being worse than the first. By willpower, 
if you find yourself miserable, you might be able to replace a disreputable idol with one that's respectable. Uh, I read the other day about a woman who was a drug addict, who was suffering from real low self-esteem, and she got involved in running and became a marathon runner. And then she developed a higher self-esteem. But the thing is, replacing one idol with another doesn't put you in any better stead with God if it's not his desire and if we're not doing it to please him. What happens after you replace a disreputable idol with one that's respectable? You wind up becoming even more enslaved because of the pride and respectability that it brings. See, a man might put aside alcohol and quit drinking and then become even more hardened spiritually than he was before. Now, this is a crucial matter of self-understanding. As a Christian, your sinful nature has been broken. The old nature, that idol-making tendency, is still there. But there's a difference between exchanging unacceptable idols for acceptable idols and the self-control that the Holy Spirit brings. They may look very similar in the beginning, but after a while, the acceptable idol will no longer satisfy, and it will become a harsh taskmire that drives and enslaves us, and we feel like we have to just keep on going. Whereas if the change is due to self-control wrought by the Holy Spirit, it will be a joy and a freedom. Last week we talked about sin trying to deceive us and getting us to choose things that are in rebellion against God. It comes down to making choices, choosing God's way over satisfying your desires in ways that go against God's will. When we're saved and that transformation has begun, the Lord has kept his promise and sent his Holy Spirit to live inside us, then we're different. We have a peace within. We're no longer worried so much about the approval of people because we have received the approval of God. There are some things we know immediately we need to stop doing, and uh, there are things that we know immediately that aren't pleasing to God, and we stop them because we want to please Him. As we continue on in life, though, if we aren't diligent in maintaining our relationship with God through prayer, through studying His Word, and through fellowship with other believers, we can fall back into these old habits that are sinful and uh, that alienate us from God. It's automatic. If we aren't seeking to maintain a relationship with Him, we'll fall back into what used to work instead of seeking uh, what God wants us to do now. As we do that, we can unwittingly drift further and further from Him if we don't turn around and seek restoration of our walk with the Lord, we can ultimately just forget Him. And in tender love, He will sadly let you go. One preacher put it this way, 
We fritter away our time by staring at the TV or aimlessly surfing the web. We let our marriages fall flat by failing to work at communication or neglecting to do the little acts of tenderness and devotion that add spice to our love. We eat too much or drink too much and buy too much. We say whatever we feel at the moment rather than bringing our thoughts and words under the discipline of thoughtful kindness and peaceable gentleness. We call ourselves followers of Christ, but we fail to build a relationship to him in prayer. Wandering through life as though Christ's claim of lordship were merely an ornament. This has happened to many who bear the name of Christ, but not the fruit. Alexander the Great once had a soldier brought before him for discipline. Alexander recognized the young man as having been before him on several other occasions for misconduct. And he said, soldier, what is your name? And the young man stood straight and proudly said, Alexander, sir. He was named after Alexander the Great. Alexander looked at his namesake and said, Soldier, either change your conduct or change your name. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord is saying to some of you, right now who call yourselves Christian but aren't showing any fruit either change your conduct or change your name and you can't do it on your own the only way to do it is to yield your life to his if you have bogged down in your relationship with the Lord and what I just shared describes you. Here's some things that you need to do to restore the freshness of your walk with Him. Now, first of all, you need to repent and you need to tell Him that you're sorry that you haven't, you haven't paid any attention to Him. You need to ask Him to come back into your heart, to come back into your life. And then... The next thing you need to do is you need to set aside a time each day to talk to him. You need to set aside a time each day for prayer. And by prayer, I mean really talking to God about your life and about those you love and about those things that you're concerned about. And then next, you need to set aside a time to study God's word. Now, a good time to do this is right after your prayer time. And it may be that as, you, as God's word grasps you, grasps you, it may lead you to pray more. But by Bible study, I mean prayerfully going through the Bible, one book at a time, one chapter at a time, in order. You read an entire book at a time. I encourage you, start at the beginning. Start in Genesis and work your way through because if you do so, you'll find that the Bible is like one of the best soap operas you've ever come across. 
you'll get to know the characters. You'll get to know later on in the New Testament who the Old Testament uh, characters are that they're referring to. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. You can't understand what Jesus is saying unless you have grasped the Old Testament and at least understand the history and the characters that are there. So, uh, that's what I mean by Bible study. One chapter at a time. Start at the beginning, work your way through. And I don't mean reading a popular daily devotional. It's okay to follow one of those, but do not think you can substitute a daily devotional for Bible study. Don't call reading a devotional Bible study. It's not. As you read the Bible, God's Word, His Word will speak to you and it will grasp you. And you want Him to speak to you, not some popular preacher. Third, Get involved in fellowship with other Christians. You cannot be a lone ranger Christian. You need the fellowship of, of other believers if you're going to grow in the Lord. Now notice I said other believers, not church members. Some church members need to be saved. Let's face it. You need the fellowship of other believers if you're going to grow in the Lord. We help keep each other on the right path and keep each other from falling into error. And then, after you've started those things, you may not even have to ask, but you may want to go ahead and ask. Ask the Lord to show you any remaining idols in your life. Ask Him to show you any demands or desires that you have been satisfying in ways that conflict with God. These can be especially hard to see if your idols are of the respectable kind. Now, when you start trying to uh, do these things, be aware that the enemy is going to very sneakily try to disrail to he's going to try to derail you. He's had you in a place of ineffectiveness being deceived in the kingdom of God. And he's not going to want to allow you to move from that spot. And your idols, as they are revealed, will start saying, serve me and I'll give you peace. I'll give you acceptance. I'll give you security. And when they do, if you've given yourself to him, and he has shed his love abroad in your heart, you can truthfully reply, I already have all that in Jesus. And when you say no, and you say it like you mean it, the devil's going to go on and try to bother somebody else. There's a way of saying no that, me, that, that, that comes across as, if you keep on trying, I may give in. And there's a way to say no that shows that you mean it. And you can say no and mean it if the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts. Now, I want to take a moment to unveil a couple of very
common idols that you may need to quit serving. First of all, do you lack self-control in the matter of your temper? Do you blow up whenever you're criticized or questioned, even by someone who loves you? The Bible condemns fits of rage. They're works of the flesh, not a part of the fruit of the Spirit. One possible reason that you have fits of rage is that your idol is the approval of other people. And if that's your idol, you can't stand anything that feels like disapproval. And so your response is an angry outburst to cut off all criticism. God's grace can teach you uh, to uh, uh, overcome this if you'll begin to listen to him. If you're living in the presence of the Holy Spirit, what will start to matter to you more than the approval of other people is the truth. Nothing looks more foolish than try to argue that you're right when you're wrong. And so you need to ask yourself, is this the truth? If it's the truth, if there's truth in what you're hearing, you need to face it. If it's a lie, the truth will out and you will be vindicated if you continue in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Maybe you lack self-control when it comes to your money. Christians can lack self-control regarding money in, in two ways, either spending too much uh, money or spending too little, being too stingy with your money. Financial idolatry cuts both ways, and you may think a lack of self-control in this area is just overspending, but you can laugh self lack self-control by being stingy, by being fearful of ever having enough. If money is your worth, you're probably going to be an overspender. If money is your security, you're going to be stingy. And you may not even give to the Lord's work. And you may not want to share with other people. But God's grace will teach you to say no to both these worldly passions. And instead, as you develop confidence in God as your source for needs and that you have been blessed to be a blessing, you can start to handle money faithfully and joyfully. Now remember that this is all in the context of a wonderful, loving, vibrant, spirit-filled, very personal relationship with the Lord. As in any loving, close relationship, you're going to continue to discover new things about the Lord and his love for you. As you move on to him, you're going to discover things that you've been doing that you need to be doing differently or that you need to stop doing. Ultimately, I think you best describe your love walk with the Lord as giving as much of yourself as you know to as much of God as you understand. And as you do that, he'll bring up projects and he will teach you, and he will guide you, and he will lead you, and he will assure you. As long as you're doing that, you're right where you should be with him. And it's a great place to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. There may be some of you that you've been listening to this, uh, you've re you finally realized that you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You've talked about him, but 
you don't have a personal relationship with him. And in hearing this, you realize that there is a relationship to be had and you want that relationship. If that's you, just pray with me right now. Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't know that I could walk with you and that you were willing to come into my life and be with me. And I want you. I want your love. I want the freedom uh, from all these things that have been hindering me and enslaving me. I want freedom from all those things. And I realize now the only way to do that is to give those along with myself to you. And so, Lord, here I just give you my life. And I pray, Lord, that from this point on, you'll lead me and guide me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died to forgive me and to bring forgiveness, to buy forgiveness, to purchase forgiveness on Calvary, to pay the price for my sins that have separated me from a holy and a just God. Thank you for satisfying God's justice and his love for me. Pour your spirit out on me now and make me yours. I give myself to you. Thank you for giving yourself for me and to me. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray for those that just prayed this prayer that you would honor your word, that if anyone loves you, that you love them and send your Holy Spirit to dwell in them. And I pray, Lord, that from this point on, they'll start to manifest your fruit in their lives. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.